Before we begin today's podcast, we want to offer a brief trigger warning. Our conversation today will touch on themes of rape and child sexual abuse. That's because the movie that we're discussing, Calvary, also touches on those themes. And we want you to know so that you can decide whether this is something that you want to listen to or not. Welcome to Films in the Wilderness, a six-week limited podcast series during Lent 2021, brought to you by the Diocese of Southern Ohio. I'm Carl Stevens. I'm Jed Deering. And with us today is our very special guest, Ella Stevens, a film lover, a future student of film production, who also happens to be Carl Stevens' daughter. And Ella, we are really thrilled to have you with us in conversation today. And I was hoping you could introduce yourself a little more and just share about how films have an impact on you in your own spiritual or faith life. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm Ella. I am currently in high school, but probably going to go to film school next year for college. Uh, and I think the biggest thing that films kind of like reflect on my spiritual life is I just really like thinking about people's stories and I like how films like tell different people's stories because I sometimes I have like spiritual experiences where it just like hits me that everybody's life is like as developed as mine and they have like a whole story and that's just like always a really beautiful experience and movies remind me of that. Oh that's incredible thank you. I think that's actually a great lead into uh a recap of our movie that we'll be discussing today, which is the 2014 film Calvary from uh, Irish writer and director John Michael McDonough. And this movie is the story of a priest in Ireland, a Catholic priest who, uh, while in the confessional, has somebody confess to him or share with him that in one week they're going to kill him. Uh, this person had been abused as a child by a Catholic priest who is now dead. And in his words, what good would it do to be to kill, to kill a bad priest? Killing a good priest, that will really shock people or draw attention. And so he tells the father that he is going to kill him and gives him a week to get his affairs in order. So the movie then chronicles a week in the life of this Irish priest. And in a lot of ways, the vignettes and the stories that we get of each of the different people that he encounters in his parish are almost like gospel stories. They're short, confined, we're kind of going through the life of this priest with these, uh, with these distinct encounters. And for us as the viewer, the movie is playing out a little bit like a whodunit, as he does his pastoral visits with, with each person in his parish. But... What the movie lets us know very early on is that the priest, Father James, played by Brendan Gleeson, Father James actually knows who the person was in the confessional booth and knows who is planning to kill him and is not making that public, but is going about his work in the church. Uh, and so the movie chronicles that week and ultimately up to his choice to be willing to stay in this town and to confront uh, the person who would ultimately choose to murder him. And so that's a basic kind of summary and overview of Calvary. I wonder, Carl or Ella, if either of you would have anything you would add to just that short recap. Well, first of all, we are spoiling this, so we can talk about the movie. And listener, we will let you know who the, who the murderer is. And indeed, that Father James does actually get murdered at the end of the movie. Um, so just be prepared for everything to be spoiled. I would say, Jed, that you, you described it in terms of little gospel stories or parallels. I, I don't know if I agree necessarily with that description. I guess I see it more as a kind of, uh, Bosch-like descent into hell. <laughs> um, and so it's not like... Father James is a stand-in for Jesus traveling around sharing little parables with people. It is that the people around him progressively become worse and worse as the movie goes on. 
And frankly, I have some questions about that. Um, I don't know. Ella, we, we watched the movie together, but then we did not talk about it. Um, just give us your, your first opinion. Like, what were your thoughts about the movie? Did you like it? Did you not? Well, first of all, I'd say I did like it. It wasn't, like, one of my favorite movies of all time because I like a movie that's very, like, action-y kind of in a certain way. Um, but I liked it. It was very neo noir to me, and I really like that genre. Like, you'd agree it was pretty noir vibes, right? Yeah, I think it definitely had that aspect. Yeah, I really like that about it. I thought it was really interesting because, like, I feel like all the characters, none of them are very good, but they're weirdly likable, and I like that about the movie. Am I crazy? Like, did y'all also like the characters? Um... I liked the I liked Father James. I don't know if I liked anyone else, and so I'll just out myself right now and say this movie will be a challenge to talk about because I think it's a one from our film series so far that I actually did not like very much. Mm. I've been thinking about it a lot. Um, <laughs> it had meaning to me, but uh, I did not particularly enjoy it. So, <laughs> well, well, we can get into that much further as we go on. Um, yeah, it was definitely it's definitely a messy movie in some ways. I think when I uh, when I share about it being like the gospel accounts in that there are these there are often these short, quick little stories that you pick up along this journey that are, that the father is on less than that. There are parables or parallels, but yeah. rather rather how um, you have these vignettes that are pretty quick hitting as you go through his life and ultimately approach uh, his death. Yeah, I think I'm not, you know, we're, we're going to get into this much more, but I think that one of my challenges with it was that with the exception of his daughter and not, and, and the French woman, not a single character in this movie is kind or compassionate or understanding or anything but dark, sardonic and cruel. And that got to me after a while, I have to admit. It's a very cynical group of people. Oh, I'm sorry, Alan. Oh, I was saying, what about the old writer guy? He wasn't that bad. Oh, yeah. He was good, too. You're right. All the foreigners. But uh, it made me kind of wonder whether uh, John Michael McDonald hates his country. Because <laughs> all the Irish people were terrible. <laughs> um, but at any rate, we'll go much further into that. Let's hear the gospel first, and then we can uh, have a lively discussion. The gospel appointed to go with this is John 3, 14 through 21, the gospel for the fourth Sunday in Lent. Jesus said, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who believe, or those who do not believe, are condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. All right, Jed, we're gonna, I'm going to ask the question I always ask after the gospel reading, which is, you're the person who set the schedule and decide which movies should go with what readings. What in particular about this reading brought this particular movie to mind? I think the particular portion of the passion of the passage that connected is this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. Those who do what is true come to the light. Um, and that working on multiple levels in this film, right from the outset, uh, when we get the story of uh, the adult male sharing about how as a young man at the age of seven, um, he was uh, raped and accosted by a Catholic priest. You know, we get the story of something that uh, was kept in the dark, evil deeds that were done that uh, eventually come 
have made their way to the light and in horrifying ways. Um, and what the impact that there has been from those deeds being kept in the darkness for so long. And we know, of course, that's uh, that kind of systemic su suppression of the truth uh, and of abuse is not something that is limited to just the Roman Catholic Church, but it's certainly, um, you know, certainly found in institutions and systems throughout the world. And we see the way that that plays out. But then even in each of the individual lives of the people that we encounter, as, the, as Father James is visiting with them and often confronting them about deeds that have come into the light or while visiting with them, kind of seeing the evil in their lives come to the light. <laughs> so there's a, lot, there's a lot of that there as well. Certainly the ideas of, um, of sacrifice and what does it mean, you know, when we read in the Gospel of John that the Son of Man must be lifted up. Well, we certainly read back into that our understanding of the crucifixion. Um, and in this story, was it necessary for Father James to die to enact healing? Um, was that his reason for making the choice at the end? I think there's some questions there that I'm excited to explore with you all. Yeah, so we have a beginning scene where this confession happens. It sets up the movie. Then I believe we immediately go to people receiving communion. And in that communion line, we see the majority of the characters who we're going to know for the rest of the movie. There are some exceptions. But of those people who Father James goes to confront, at first they're all just members of his church. And I, so as I was thinking about it, and as I was watching it, I was thinking, well, these people hate the priesthood. They do, do not respect the priesthood at all. I mean, and they probably should. You know, they are um, reeling from all of these revelations about pedophile priests. They seem at first to respect the humanity of Father James, though. Like they, you know, they don't like the position he holds, but they like him. And that at first seems to be a, a distinct and important difference. Did Ella, did you see that too? Was that... Yeah, I think you put it really good because I was thinking like it seems like no one really likes him, but they are they do seem to like him. But you're right. I think it is that they don't like his profession. And that actually brings up a question for me because I was wondering while I was watching it. They keep saying that like he's a good priest, like the guy who kills him is like, you're a good priest. That's why I want to kill you, you know, and I was watching it and I was like, well, what's a good priest, though? Because everyone kind of seems to hate him trying to priest them so like what, what's the definition of a good priest you know I mean you're both priests you probably have some idea of it well I, I think we'd all have different definitions but I think the definition that Father James gives he has this kind of terrible assistant who is um, very much like a, a knee-biting rule follower um, kind of intellectually incurious gossipy about the people who go to him for confession which is a big no-no um, just kind of not an impressive person and at a certain point Father James says to him you lack integrity and I think for Father James that is the definition is to have integrity within your profession within your calling yeah and I, I think that he also uh, brings himself honestly to each encounter as well <laughs> which is something that I appreciated like even in those moments where he in the moments where he doesn't have answers, in the moments where he is angry about what is being said or is being shared, uh, when, he, when he believes that someone is sharing something that is radically against who God is, that he's willing to call that out and name it for what it is, um, there is uh, there's an honesty about him uh, that's present and that he is bringing his own experiences and his own understanding and his own convictions deeply into his encounters with other people. And you see it often in his body, almost reacting as we get so many scenes of him listening, which I think is also a good priest is that he's first and foremost listening and he's trying to really take in and understand the person, even if sometimes it drives him bonkers. Like the doctor guy calls him a good priest too. I'm like, doctor guy, you don't really <laughs> seem to like him at all. Like what, what is the doctor guy's definition of a good priest? You know, I just thought that was interesting that everyone calls him good, but. What did you all think about that encounter with the doctor when he 
comes to him on his good Friday, on the Friday night when he's, when Father James is reeling and he's sitting in the bar and he's for the first time, it seems like in a while, having too many drinks. And uh, the doctor comes to him and, you know, lays in with the darkest story that he can possibly imagine from his profession that he's experienced with a child who has uh, become paralyzed and deaf and blind and has lost everything and yet still has consciousness. And, you know, so he presents Father James with this story with no question. He just comes in lays it out before them and we get father james reaction which is you know uh i, I don't know what our rating is on this podcast so i'll go the slightly edited version but you know, <laughs> with the what the heck why would you tell me that why the heck would you tell me that yeah i've been thinking about that a lot i mean i feel like Integrity is so important to this movie and is present in that scene so many other scenes. Because the thing about these parishioners, so the doctor is an atheist, an out-and-out atheist, very cynical about the world, like smokes outside, you know, does, makes, you know, dark humor jokes about people killed in car accidents. Just like, not a person buoyed up by much. It's hard to figure out why he continues to do what he does. But he has integrity. Like, his his atheism is based in something. You know, it's not facile. It's not small. It comes out of the worst of possible human experiences or his witnessing those experiences. Um, so I, I thought maybe part of that scene was him saying, let me tell you about my integrity because I recognize yours. Um but then, of course, the way that Father James reacts is like his least integrity moment. It's like the one when he's not listening, when he's like just purely angry. But, I mean, that's the thing. Like, except for the, the junior priest, you know, the adulterous woman has integrity. She's like, yes, I admit I'm having affairs. I, I like sex. I like this guy I'm having sex with. You know, she's you cannot say she's not true to herself. You know, and and the same with, like, the auto mechanic who she's having an affair with. He, too, is true to himself. He's like, look, we've got it all worked out. This makes sense to us. Why are you interfering? Why are you trying to call us to a different kind of integrity than is our own, you know? Oh, I like the atheist doctor. You know, as you said, I think he definitely has integrity. I like the fact that he has the kind of dark sense of humor. I think he's a likable character. I think all the characters are likable, honestly. And I think what you said about them having integrity actually explains a lot of it to me because I was thinking, I was like, I feel like everyone in this movie, like I can tell that they're flawed characters, but I feel in my heart that they're likable. And I was trying to figure out why, but I think it does make sense that they are all very true to themselves. Um, so I like that about the doctor too. What do you think, Jed? You you brought him up first. What's your yeah. take on him? I mean, I think, yeah, I think what he said is certainly true to himself and the person that we see throughout the film. And there, it's true to conversations that I've had with um, close friends and family since uh, you know making the choice to enter and pursue the call to the priesthood. Uh, of people that come to me and lay bare these stories and ask, how can I? You know, and there's often not a great answer that can be given. And what I think I appreciate in this moment from Father James is that he has like an actual like embodied effective reaction here, right? Like he's, um, he responds truthfully from like what he's feeling instead of trying to defend or intelligently lay out some plan that God has for this person or this suffering child. And so to me, there's actually an integrity, I think, in Father James' response also, <laughs> even in that moment. Um, but uh, so, so yeah, you know, his, his care, the doctor did not feel like somebody who was unfamiliar um, and yet it did seem like he respected the role that the doctor played, even in coming to the hospital, even if he was going to use those times to nag him in different ways. Yeah. I mean, right before that confrontation in the bar, um, so Father James comes into the bar. There are two people who are playing chess. 
One is the auto mechanic, and the other is the, the man who the auto mechanic is cuckolding. Um, so the husband of the woman the auto mechanic is sleeping with. Since we are spoiling things, we can say that the husband of the woman, who is a butcher, um, is the person who is going to kill Father James at the end of the movie. So they're in the bar. Them and the, the bartender, who is also a person who seems to hate everyone and everything in keeping with the movie um, and and the the butcher the character's name is Jack, he's played by Chris O'Dowd who many of you have probably seen in um, Bridesmaids as the love interest in Bridesmaids he, um, he comes up, he starts to kind of verbally rag on Father James the others join in but the doctor is just sitting there throughout kind of watching, like waiting to see what's going to go down. And at first, I read that watching as sympathy. I was like, okay, there's somebody in this bar who has some sympathy with the priest. Then the priest goes into uh, the pool room where um, this gay prostitute is playing pool. We've already met the gay prostitute because... He was at the house of the police superintendent after when Father James came to visit. They had obviously just had a um, relations together. Uh, and he, too, both negs on Father James and also brings up moments of abuse at the hands of priests and bishops. Father James then goes out, and he's just sitting there by himself drinking, like caught in this glumness, and because we've seen the end of the movie, we know that he's still in the same room with the person who's going to murder him and knows it. And then the doctor approaches, and as he was approaching, I thought, well, now he's going to express some form of sympathy because, you know, we don't have to all, like, believe the same things to be human with each other. But no, he's not, he's not human in any way. Uh, so I can see, Jed, what you're saying. Like, Father James's reaction has integrity in that it is a very honest emotional reaction to what's going on. Um, at the same time, he leaves behind in that moment all that kind of patient, waiting, listening, compassionate, watching. And I guess maybe that's why I thought, okay, this is his moment when he kind of falls from his sense of integrity, right? Because yeah. he's... Maybe, maybe it's simply the moment when he's not a priest. Yeah. Like, that's been shed in that moment, and he's just himself purely without a role and i'm glad you brought that up because i think what's interesting about james's interactions with pretty much everyone else in the movie is that he kind of like has two selves because he's himself as a person and he's a priest and a lot of times other people just treat him as a priest and it's like you can tell that they're working out their own frustrations with the church on him but that obviously has an effect on him because he's a person he's not just his job but I think a lot of times uh, it can be easy for characters to treat him like just a symbol of the church. Right. Well, and he wears an old cassock, so it's something he takes on purposely. Somebody even asks him, like, why do you, why do you wear this? Because <laughs> many priests don't. Huh. The, since you brought up body language, too, there's scene after scene where he approaches a conversation with somebody and they're doing something. They're... Um, shooting clay pigeons or hanging up laundry and we see him kind of appear peripherally and wait patiently there in his cassock until they notice him and then they come towards him and I, I think given our conversation so far we might say that he is as a human being just waiting for their reaction to him showing up as a priest right in, in his cassock and everything like every reaction is potentially fraught for him except with the person who's going to kill him. He goes into that butcher shop and he like goes right up to him. But every other, maybe that's because now like the, the, it's clear what's going to happen. Um, but the other thing I was thinking about it was maybe he's their externalized conscience. You know, maybe it's like they're, you know, the, the adulterous woman is hanging up laundry and then she notices him and says if she's noticing her own conscience and the rich jerk who pees on his own famous painting is like shooting clay pigeons and then he notices uh, Father James and it's like he's noticing his own conscience. I, does that read make any sense? Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think you could see that as like him serving in that role and yeah, he's 
he's on the periphery. Will he be engaged with? Will do they want to take the time? And in the same way we can engage with our own sense of conscience, our own work of the spirit, we can decide to fight and argue with it. <laughs> we can receive it. We can go back and forth with it. At times we can end up finally submitting to it. Um, yeah, I think I think there's a definite connection there. You know, I think uh, something that I have uh, been thinking about and wanting to explore a little bit with the movie as well is, you know, what, it, as we're watching this movie during a time of Lent and a time of wilderness and a time of considering um, you know, self-examination, uh, it's also a time I think of examination as a church and a time for us to consider, and this movie would cause to consider, what are those things as a church that we've done to drive people into the wilderness? in what ways as a church are we um, are we penitent do we need to do the work of restoration and reconciliation so that we can come back to easter you know ready for that new life in christ like as a collective um this is something obviously i think about you know specifically in a role as a the leader the shepherd of a parish uh, as a priest but then uh, you know, I think is is important for us to think through, you know, on a whole as a church and seeing the impact and the way that Jack, our chef, our um, uh, our butcher, who was the was the young man who was abused, the way that he had been driven into a wilderness from which he'd never been able to make it back <laughs> mm-hmm. because uh, because of those years of neglect by the church and to address the abuses of the clergy. Um, you know, it was really, is really something. Uh, and, you know, he even poses the question later on to the father about, after asking about the emotions that he, the father had when his dog died, whether or not he held the same emotions when he would read the stories of clergy abuse. And sometimes that detachment that can be there between ourselves and what's going on in the wider, the larger church in the world when we don't see it or experience it with a person. Uh, yeah, so Father James even uses the word detachment, right? He said, I, I, when I read about those, I felt detached from it. Yeah. And that's the moment when Jack shoots him. Right? It says, do you feel detached from that, <laughs> from being shot? Well, but I mean, I think that was kind of the whole point of Jack shooting them is, I mean, really, I think he just wanted someone to understand him. And I feel like, you know, Jack as a character, I'm not the biggest fan. I mean, partly because he literally kills someone more so because he like hit his wife and then blamed it on like the one black guy in the whole movie. So that's not cool. Uh, But I even though I disapprove of it, definitely, I do find his killing of James like understandable, right? Like, it's understandable, right? I'm not crazy. You, I mean, you get a clear sense of the motivation, right? Yeah. That there's, yeah, what what would have driven him to this? Yeah, absolutely. Because mm-hmm. I can see how when someone, when something happens to someone to make them feel so powerless, like I can see how then you would want to do something to kind of establish your own power, which I guess he doesn't do in a very productive way, but I think it's completely understandable. Yeah, what does it mean to yeah, re- reclaim power yeah powerless and what does it mean when the community that's caused you that harm doesn't do the work of helping you to reestablish your own agency your own power to to shift a situation um yeah it absolutely absolutely makes sense i mean maybe that to answer your question jed you know maybe that's why Father James is held up as as a, a good or admirable character is because he is not detached through the movie, through the course of the movie. It's it's almost as if the first thing we learn about him is that uh, he's a good priest and that he is going to be killed. So the movie is all under the shadow of that death. And I wonder now that you mentioned that if it isn't that he's becoming less and less detached as the movie goes on. So he starts in a kind of place of detachment. You know, he's he's just giving communion to people who may not believe very much or they might 
Um, then he goes into like the sacristy and he's joshing with the altar boy, accusing this sensitive child who paints sea landscapes of being a thug. You know, so it's a little like. It's just—it's a little performative in a way, and as the movie goes on, he becomes less and less performative. He becomes more and more authentic and wounded, and all of that detachment floods away. I, you know, one part of me wonders if this is a film with any redemption in it, but of course there—you know—there is. His daughter, who has attempted suicide, comes to the town, and uh, it leads to their reconciliation. You know, throughout the course of the movie, it's like the B plot is how are they going to get reconciled with each other? Because after Father James's wife died, he went through a period of profound detachment. His daughter talks about feeling abandoned by him. Like, where did you go? So he detaches himself from everything, and then he becomes a priest, which for for her, his daughter, is like a second loss. This the death of a second parent. So she's been trying to reconcile herself with this. And I think she shows up with the question, why did you detach yourself from me to go serve this church? And so he has been detached. I'm only realizing this now. I really needed this conversation to appreciate this movie for. <laughs> and I think that Fiona character is key, too, in that her coming, her coming into the story and coming alongside and us helping us to understand through her a bit more of his own inner life and journey um you know a bit more probably of his own sense of his the limits to who he is which i think he does have a good sense of which maybe with all that his daughter has gone through which what has sounded like has been several suicide attempts over time yeah. um he's realized you know some of some of his own limits in being able to save people which maybe leads to what I think is some of his good priesting, which is that he doesn't he doesn't go attempting to uh, transform anybody, <laughs> but I think and off to offer them a chance to see themselves, to understand their actions, to present other paths. Um, and I wonder if some of that ability to be a good priest has come out of some of his own reflection on uh, himself as a parent or not. Hmm. Well, what was your experience with Fiona, Al? I'd be interested to know in her character, her story arc, and their relationship. I mean, I think her function in the story definitely made sense. I really like how uh, in the first scene of the movie, uh, Jack, who's like, I'm going to kill you. You better like wrap up all your life things. I don't know if that's the way to put it. But he like gives a set mission at the beginning of the movie, right? So I think Fiona was obviously very important to be like, a huge part in James's life that he needs to kind of wrap up before he knows he's gonna die. So I think in terms of like function in the story, I like that Fiona was there. I think in terms of a character, she was a little bit bland to me. I mean, she did just try and kill herself. So I guess that might put you in kind of a empty mood, but just as a character, like I what what how did she feel? You know, what was that interesting about her? I don't know. Yeah, I can see that. Um, and maybe, okay, so now, thank you, Ella, because that brings me back to reasons to dislike the movie. Because <laughs> I think she's she's one of many characters who are kind of treated very shallowly yeah. in a way. I think the moment the movie turned to me and I started questioning what I thought about it was really the start of the second act. Uh, Father James goes to visit a person in prison who um, has obviously is like a psychopath, mm -hmm. you know, has killed a number of women. Um, is he a cannibal? I think he mentions yeah. eating them. So, and Father James is there, you know, this person summoned Father James to him and feels, and, and from some things that Father James says, it's implied that Father James expected this to be some moment of confession or repentance or something, it is not forthcoming. It's not there in any way. And it is at that point that all the characters we met in the first act who seem to have some kind of compassion or at least understanding or love for Father James, even though they were angry at the church and the priesthood, 
all of them start acting terribly after that point. It's like the hinge where their their characters almost change. Like what was a little bit human in them just gets pulled out of them. And who is this? Like, like why why is he here? You know, he's he's treated he and his crimes to me were treated as shallowly and insignificantly as Fiona in a way is treated. You know, that she does not have much of a character, does not have that much to do except for to forgive her father in the end, which is redemptive for him, but I don't know if it means all that much to her, per se. And really, no one in the movie seems that concerned that she's just tried to kill herself. Like, even her own dad is like, oh, you cut the wrong way, uh-oh. Like, you think you'd be more upset if your daughter tried to kill themselves. But just everyone she tells about it is just kind of like, okay, that's cool. You're pretty, you know? Yeah, I think it's supposed to be like a kind of mordant Irish wit. But oh, then I was yeah. like, well, then I'm glad I don't live in Ireland because <laughs> I don't appreciate this kind of wit. <laughs> Wait, can we talk about like the incel motorcycle guy? Yes, please I, do. I He's like, another character who's treated pretty shallowly, but what? interesting way. He's treated pretty shallowly, too, but interesting in a way. Okay, I'll go for it. Well, I literally just don't. <laughs> like, he was strangely likable. But I was like, should I like this character? It was, I mean, that's a way to feel about a lot of the characters in the movie, really. I just thought it was interesting that, you know, I think it's interesting that characters like him were, like, kind of charming and likable. But then again, characters like Fiona were just kind of, like, blah, you know? Like, I wonder what the reasons for some characters being more kind of charming and funny than other characters is, you know? Yeah, I mean, I my worry is that by doing that, the the film makes a moral claim that, that evil is more interesting than good. I mean, it kind like, of does. Yeah. Like, the climax of the movie is kind of when James shoots all the bar lights. Yes. That was the moment... Yeah, that comes from that same that same scene where the doctor approaches him. That's his response in the end, is to draw a gun. Yeah. Point at someone and then shoot out the bar. Yeah. And you can understand it on a human level. Definitely. You know, that rage, that frustration. But um, it's not good. No. Yeah. And that's <laughs> another thing I was wondering about him being a good priest, is we see him get this gun for the old sick man to like kill himself and i'm wondering is that good priesting like on one hand it seems nice to the guy but on the other hand you're helping a parishioner kill yourself that seems like a bad idea <laughs> well i had a question of whether that's why he actually got the gun because he keeps a gun yeah and then he throws the gun away at the very end before he's going to go down the beach so my assumption was that he was just using the old man, the old prisoner, this man who's a writer. He's using that man's desire to have a gun to kill himself as an excuse to just carry a gun around himself because he's afraid for his own life. Mm -hmm. That was that was I think that was my read as well. That it, it kind of gave him the idea and the excuse and the reason to kind of keep for himself. Well, I could take this to him, you know. Yeah. Which ultimately, you know, he decides it's neither a good idea for himself or for for that parishioner. Um, I, you know, I kind of, uh, I took his response as well in the bar and shooting up the bar to be the pain of not being able to get his house in order. We have these characters that, yeah, they're maybe, they're not really all fully realized and written. We get one side of them, often the cynical dark evil side <laughs> um of of each of them but part of me wonders if we're getting that because we're seeing his experience to go try to set his house his parishioners his church in order and feeling powerless to do that and wondering if he's had any impact wondering if his work if his words his presence have meant anything um and ultimately taking all of that frustration out and those, you know, the shots mm -hmm. being fired <laughs> um, is kind of how I was, I was reading, reading and c coming through that. 
Well, that I mean, that makes a lot of sense, and maybe that's why people start to treat him worse and worse is because they sense that, and their thought is, you know, we are not here to help you get your house in order, right? You can't use us in that way for your own moral clarity or for a sense that you've lived a good life. Yeah, We're just going to keep being who we are, and if we have to double down on the bad aspects in order to resist your attempt to reform us, we're going to do that. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. So another character who we haven't talked about yet is a French woman. So who is, so there are three female characters in this movie. One is an adulteress who seems sympathetic at the beginning and gets increasingly worse and meaner over time. One is his daughter, who seems really broken at the beginning and gets to a point where she can forgive him and they can forgive each other. And then at the very end of the... Or the other female character in the movie is the wife of this French uh, oceanographer, was he? Who gets killed in a car accident. And she is like the character who is full of grace and faith. And she's the one who says, like, the profound things about faith, you know, which is, like, I think essentially what she says is it's neither something you have or you don't have, right? It's just something you experience, you wait for. Like, you don't have to claim faith. That's nonsense, as Father James says to a lot of people, you know, that's nonsense. Like, if you have it, you have it. It sustains you. Don't, don't work so hard. But am I misreading her or misremembering what she said? No, I think that's right on. And even it, it goes kind of with when he meets up with her in the airport later when he's, you know, con- uh, when he's trying to go through with his escape from the town on Saturday, the day before he was, um, had been told he would be killed. Uh, you know, he meets up with her and she talks even about what it means to go on. And that, like, you know, her faith would lead her and guide her on. And it's a day by day and a step that you just need to take. Um, So there was a sense not only of her almost being held in faith (laughs) versus holding faith, but then also that the response to it, as much as you might want to fight against it or run away, is to, to carry on. And for her, that meant taking this body back to... Uh, her husband's, her late husband's family, so that they could have their time to grieve with the body, um, and you know, keeping that with and near her, which I, which I think was you know pretty beautiful. And we see ended up being a turning point for Father James and his decision to go back uh, when he sees the casket, which I'm inter- really interested in hearing both more Ella your thoughts about the French woman, but then also about that scene in particular. What do we think changed inside of him? Well, yeah, I was just thinking about that scene and I think it's kind of, I feel like the whole movie has like a lot of themes of death, right? And it's almost normalized in the movie. And I think that that moment that James sees kind of the airport workers like leaning on the coffin and treating it so lightly, I think that kind of like shows basically the whole movie's attitude on death thus far. And I think maybe that's the moment that James like realizes the significance and importance of it and maybe you know becomes less attached and realizes the full weight of that you know i mean that in a traditional like good friday way of the cross liturgy right there there are moments of scorn and beating and falling along the way as jesus goes goes uh to calvary and that seems to me to be one of those moments of scorn. You know, these airport workers are not treating it, as you said, nearly seriously enough. Don't seem to be conscious of the fact that the widow of the man who's in that box is standing there looking at them as they literally, you know, lean over and rest their arms on the coffin to have a conversation as if it's like a, a bar. Um, and maybe... I think you're right, Elle. I think maybe it's just the scornfulness of death that is on display throughout the movie makes Father James want to take it seriously. Mm-hmm. You know, to say, I okay, so I can't reform the world. I can't finish my business of being a priest by making everybody good. But I can at least 
expose the seriousness that is at the core of the world by not being detached from what other priests did, by not being detached from my own death, by not being detached from the needs of my community, even if one of those needs of the community has is to kill me. Which is, I suppose, what Christ is doing on the cross, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, he, you know, he's willing to put his body on the line. He's willing to attempt to meet this person and face his own death. That healing might be possible. Um, or is it also that he's willing to go back so that this person will not inflict pain and death on others, that he's willing to take this anger, this rage, you know, even if it ultimately leads to death because it will, it will end the cycle with, with this person and possibly give them a chance for freedom and healing. Will it though? Yeah, I mean, I go ahead, Al. Oh, I was just agreeing with you. You can keep saying, saying your thing. Yeah, let's be honest. The Chris O'Dowd character is going to jail. I mean, he's just publicly murdered someone in front of a small boy. He has actually traumatized that child who watches this murder just as he was traumatized by the actions of adults. Like, this is not redemptive, this is cyclical. Mm-hmm. Did he, was the the chance that in facing him down or and in being willing to meet him on his terms, a, a chance for a redemptive moment instead of a violent moment? Was it, was it him stepping into that as just as a last hope? And well, that I, that I agree with mostly because the, the rich man whose family has left him, the, the pain and peer, <laughs> uh, meets him right before he goes down to the beach and they arrange to meet each other later so that Father James can help him yeah. start coming to terms with the disaster he's made of his life and his own detachment. Like what he says essentially is, I am detached from everything. Yeah. I haven't felt anything for years. Gosh, you know, whichever of you brought detachment up really helps. Like, I think this is a movie about the sin of detachment. If if there's any sin that's truly named. And ultimately because of that detachment by the church from this sin, from being willing to face it, we have this, this violent death at the end that again, like you said, traumatizes another child yeah. <laughs> that care that carries things forward when we're, when we're not willing to face it in other ways. Yeah, deeply. It's deeply sad, deeply, uh, deeply heartbreaking. Well, let's. Um, I've just one more thing to ask about before we go on to uh, to our final question, which is, who killed his dog? What? So, <laughs> Ella, do you have any theories on that? Well, I'll say I thought the whole time that it was the rich guy who was the one who was going to kill him. So, uh-huh. and the rich guy definitely has a lot of guns. So I could see the rich guy having the means to kill the dog. I got a murderous vibe from the rich guy the whole time. I'm not really sure what the motive would be. He does seem to kind of scorn James more than a lot of other characters. Um, or it could also be the police guy because it was he originally said that, you know, remember when James is buying the gun? And the police officer is like, oh, you're getting it to put down your dog, right? And James is like, yeah, totally, like, wink, you know? So he he definitely knows about the concept of killing the dog. So I feel like it could be either of them. A mercy killing, maybe, for an old dog? Yeah. Would that make sense, though? Because clearly the police officer knew that that wasn't what the gun was for, you know? Right. And we, you know, we get, of course, uh, Jack... Uh, the murderer who ultimately confesses to burning down the church and, you know, <laughs> then violently rebuffing the idea that he would have anything to do with the dog. And what actually was maybe the most comic moment of the film in a very dark scene. But I, uh, I do want to return as well to the picture of the church on fire, which, you know, of course, is on the nose a bit. But I, the scene that follows that when they're there walking through the rubble and all that remains is the altar. Yeah. And I think that all that remained left in the life of the church was for 
Father James to be put on the sacrificial altar. I mean, that that's what was left. And I thought I thought that, um, you know, was one of the better pieces of visual visual storytelling there. Yeah, it was definitely a visually striking movie. Mm -hmm. Oh, it was beautiful. Yeah, without a doubt. Well, I, I don't know if my feelings about this movie are resolved, but it has helped a lot to kind of frame it in terms of integrity and detachment. And I'm going to keep thinking about those things for, for a while to come. Um, but before we end, we have a question which we're asking every time. So... Um, Say that uh, somebody meets you in confessional or somewhere else private and tells them they're going to kill you in six days, and you decide instead of staying that you're going to flee to the wilderness and you're going to uh, find a way to find your safety in that wilderness, maybe taking off your cassock and just living wild on the land. Would you bring this movie along to watch and contemplate while you were there in your wilderness? I feel like that would be way too on the nose for your current situation. <laughs> I always try to build a little narrative that has something to do with the movie. <laughs> I think it was brilliant. <laughs> well, Ella, would this be a good film for the wilderness if you're going to go spend some time in the wilderness? I think if I was in the wilderness, I'd want something that was less doom and gloom and would more make me feel better about being in the wilderness. <laughs> Yeah, this wouldn't inspire uh, hope or desire to return back to life with humanity and in community. You know, this was this was not your idyllic Irish countryside that we get in every rom-com that is set there, uh, you know, on the coast. Um, and so, no, I don't I don't think I don't think this even has the uh, redemptive arc. It doesn't have the tenderness that's needed that can even be there in exploring sometimes our own wilderness journeys to make me want to take this on the wilderness. Yeah, I, I, it should come as no surprise that I wouldn't take it either. <laughs> so, Well, thank you for listening to Films in the Wilderness. Our theme music is provided by the great Brianna Kelly. And we are so grateful for the support of the Diocese of Southern Ohio and especially for the work and support of Emma Steinmetz, Christopher Richardson, and Jason Odin. Ella, it was really fun. You and I have a lot of great movie conversations. I'm glad we got this one recorded. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so great. Thanks for letting me in on uh, family chat. It was great. <laughs> well, thanks for inviting me. <laughs> All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.